What does it mean when someone says that they are going all in? According to the Cambridge Dictionary, it means to try with great determination to achieve something, especially when this involves taking a big risk. In business, it could mean emptying your bank account and mortgaging your house so that your company can succeed. In marriage, it means making a total commitment to one person for life, regardless of what the future may hold. Going all in means holding nothing back and making every possible sacrifice to accomplish something you consider much more valuable. But what does it mean for us to be all in for God? What would we have to give up and what would we gain? Join Nathan Norman, Kent Edwards, and Vicki Hitzkiss as they examine these questions and how the answers unfold in Acts chapters 18 and 19. Welcome to Crosstalk, a Christian podcast whose goal is for us to encourage each other to not only increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to take the next step beyond information into transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life into all our lives. I'm Brian French. Today, Dr. Kent Edwards, Vicki Hitzkiss, and Nathan Norman continue their discussion through the book of Acts. And if you have a Bible handy, turn to Acts chapter 18, verse 24, to chapter 19, verse 7, as we join their discussion. Nathan, Vicki, have you ever seen anyone, to use Brian's phrase, all in on a specific goal? Oh, when you say that, it reminds me of when the liquid diets were popular, <laughs> and and I know, but people did, and they didn't need anything. And man, they went from big to little. And it wasn't necessarily a good thing when they started eating again. They went from little to big. But yeah, that was that was an all in thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember years ago when I was a youth pastor. We had a skate rink. Actually, our youth group met in a ice skating rink. And uh-huh. man, there were parents that were all in on hockey, which is a weird thing to say in Southern California, <laughs> <laughs> land of palm trees. But I knew several parents, they were absolutely all in. They not only drained their bank accounts to spend tens of thousands of dollars so their kids could play, they they took second mortgages out on their homes. They took loans. Seriously? Yeah. Because wow. they they thought or hoped that their kids would go pro at some point. They were absolutely all in. Huh. And then some. <laughs> Uh, one of the time places I see people going all in is with the Olympics. I mean, every few years the Olympics come around and isn't it amazing to see what those athletes are willing to give up in order to win a medal? Oh, wow. Hmm. The athletes that participate, many of them have dedicated their entire lives to their sport. That involves thousands of hours of strength training, endurance training, anaerobic training, and skill-specific training. But what sets them apart from other elite athletes? It's not just their physical preparation, but their mindset. I'm told that many Olympic champions credit their success to them focusing on a singular goal. All they want is to win the gold medal. That's being all in, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. Sure is. But does that apply to us in any way spiritually? Does God call us to enjoy an all-in relationship with him? He does. Uh, I I think if you'd ask the average American Christian, or I should say Christian who lives in America, uh, they they might waffle on that Hmm. because that is a hard, hard thing to say, yeah, I'm going to go all-in for God. 
Meaning I'm so, going to give up everything <laughs> for, for whatever he wants. So what, what would be their relationship? What would, how would you describe the average American Christian's commitment to the Lord? Gimme, give gimme, give my name is Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> no, with that. no, 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 no. That's not, that's an oversimplification and not fair. I, I think Christians in America in general are interested in comfort. And so we, we want to follow Christ uh, up until the point where it's uncomfortable. Hmm. So if there's going to be any personal sacrifice or significant sacrifice, if there's going to be uh, if I'm going to lose something uh, or, or maybe have pu- public ridicule, uh, then we, we don't want to do it. Boy, the, isn't that the truth? You know, you think about the verse, go into all the earth and spread the gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't even want to get into our neighborhood. Mm. And, um, and then if you think about Luke, it says, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. You know, if you take that seriously, how many disciples are there? Yeah. So it's interesting that, Nathan, to your point, so many people look at their faith in the Lord as kind of a, a side dish, a garnish, if you will, on the, uh, the plate of life uh, rather than the main course. So it's a value added, it's seasoning, but it doesn't dominate their life. But if we are, um, Vicki, as you mentioned, to put God first in order to be Jesus' disciple, what does that look like? I think we catch a glimpse of this in Acts 18 and 19. As we turn to that, keep in mind that the main idea of those of chapter 19 through to the end of chapter 28, keep in mind that the main idea of Acts 19 to the end of the book was that Paul left his thriving ministry in Ephesus in order to accomplish God's call in his life, to carry God's name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I mean, that's what the rest of the whole book shows us. It's fascinating to note the priority that Luke, as he's writing the book of Acts, places on the lordship of Jesus Christ. We see that in Acts 18, starting in verse 24, don't we? Well, it says, a Jew named Apollos came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Hmm. So here, Luke is pointing out, that this Apollos, as gifted the communicator as he was, had only known the baptism of John. Now that phrase just stuck in my head all week. And I'm wondering, what in the world is the baptism of John? It's obviously incomplete, but what is it? It is a baptism of repentance. So John came baptizing, preparing people to prepare their hearts to accept the coming Messiah. And so he was calling people to publicly repent of their sins. And in going into the water with John was saying, I am a sinner. I repent. I want to turn away and follow after God. And it's amazing because Jesus uh, accepted this baptism too, which he who knew no sin accepted this baptism (laughs) because I think he was identifying himself with us. It's foreshadowing the sacrifice he was going to make. So the baptism of John was a... Baptism of repentance, right? 
Yes, to turn away from sin. Vicki, isn't that what we read in Matthew chapter 3? Well, it says in Matthew 3, verse 3, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Oh, okay. So John's baptism marked the beginning of a person's journey with God. It it involved a radical change of attitude and action regarding sin. Um, It's a new hatred, if you will, of the sinful behavior that once enthralled us. I mean, we see that David praying that in Psalm 51 after his sin with Bathsheba, don't we? Yeah, David said, Have mercy on me, O God, blot out my transgressions. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. So there's nothing wrong with the baptism of John, is there? No, of course not. Because yeah, you, you can't have a relationship with the Holy God if you're wallowing in a sinful lifestyle. So repentance is where new life in Christ begins. And it results in a radical and persistent pursuit of holy living. But we read in Acts chapter 18, well, that that wasn't good enough, was it? Well, it says in Acts 18, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, Apollo, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Okay. So his understanding of the Christian faith was correct. Apollos' understanding of the Christian faith was correct but just incomplete. So what was lacking? Well, as I've wrestled with this all week, I think the answer is found again back in Matthew chapter 3. Because there we read, and Nathan, as you mentioned earlier, that Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, right? Right. Did he need to repent from anything? No. He's perfect. So when he comes to John the Baptist and says, I want you to baptize me, <laughs> that's why we understand John the Baptist's reaction to Jesus, right? Yeah, he, he, he didn't want to do it. He said, um, he tried to deter him. He said, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? <laughs> so it seems strange for Jesus to insist that John baptize him, but he did. He insisted it. In Matthew 3.15, it says that very clearly, doesn't it? He says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And so John consented. So it would be unrighteous. It would have been wrong, sinful, if Jesus did not have this second baptism, if you will, right? Why? Right. Well, let's look at what happened. What was Jesus doing here? When he asked John the Baptist to baptize him, even though he didn't need to repent from any sin. What happened? Look at verse 16 in Matthew chapter 3. It says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Wow. So this was necessary, right? The Father is pleased that Jesus had this second, this baptism, even though it wasn't a baptism of repentance. So why? Help me understand what baptism is. How was this done? What did it look like? Nathan, you're a Baptist pastor. You've got to have some idea. (laughs) Come on, Nathan. (laughs) No clue at all. (laughs) Well, yeah, it is a public declaration 
a announcement that you belong to God and God belongs to you. It's similar to a wedding band sure. uh, baptism. Uh, the wedding band itself is not the marriage itself, but uh, but it is a symbol. It's an outward symbol of an inward reality that uh, you belong to your spouse, your spouse belongs to you. In the same way, baptism is a public declaration that you belong to God and God belongs to you. And that was true for John's baptism. It's true for Christian baptism. Right. So what Jesus was doing, what was necessary, was to make a public vow of total commitment to his father. Right? Yeah. And and the father responds, just as you would in a marriage ceremony. When a um, husband makes a vow to the wife, the wife responds, makes the vow to the husband. There is a there is a, a union, there is a total public commitment to each other. And if I can continue that wedding analogy, when we genuinely repent and then fully commit to the Lord, so you have the baptism of John, but also the baptism of Jesus combined, when the wedding is o- ceremony is over, what happens? Well, there's often the exchanging of gifts. And what is the father's gift to his son? In Matthew 3, verse 16, what did the Father give him? I said, the Spirit of God descended like a dove and a lit on him. Wow. So when Jesus fully committed him, publicly committed himself to the Father, the Father gave him a gift. And the gift was the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's why we read in Acts chapter 19, well, (laughs) What do we read starting there in verse 1? It says, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Hmm. So today, we don't practice a baptism simply of John, do we? No. No. But we do know that what in the book of Acts was seen as a separate baptism is certainly included when we are baptized today. There is a repentance and declaration of our sin and our desire to live a holy life, isn't there? Right. But at the same time, we include a commitment, a total commitment to our Lord, to follow him, to be his disciple in every possible way, to go all in with Jesus. Even today, those who publicly repent of their sins and commit themselves to the Lord without mental reservation will be called sons of God and receive what does God give in response when we make those, when we do a full baptism, a commitment to get rid of our sin and embrace Him fully to go all in with God. What does He give us? Well, we get a spiritual gift mm-hmm. and the ability to use that gift. Yeah. And isn't that amazing? When we go all in with God, God goes all in with us. And look at the difference that this made in Jesus' ministry, again, back in Matthew chapter 4. 
after Jesus made this all-in commitment to his Father, and the Father responded by giving him the gift of the Holy Spirit, well, what happens next in chapter 4, verses 1 to 11? Well, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted and assaulted by Satan. And did he survive? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So our Savior defeated the best tempter in all of history because he had the gift of the Holy Spirit given to him. Wow. What tangible difference would that total commitment to the Lord that results in the gift of the Holy Spirit to us, what difference would that make in our lives and ministries? I mean, if, if we're all in, how should, how should we live? If we're all in. Yeah, because you're, you're saying Jesus was all in and look at all he accomplished. Mm-hmm. What, how, how should our lives be? You know, this is just making me feel guilty, this whole, <laughs> this whole lesson. <laughs> it is. It happens sometimes. I think my gift is evangelism. I should be out evangelizing all the time. And, and there are people that have the gift of hospitality. And I've seen them really use that gift. And then there's mm-hmm. people with the gift of administration. Some of them really use it. Some of them not so much. But if we really are all in and we have the opportunity to use that gift, we need to be out there using that gift to be all in, as you say it, like, 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 as you said in the beginning of this, like Olympic athletes, get up early, stay up late, throw yourself into that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you would see, you would, you would see a lot more difficulty in your own life, right? Because Hmm. when you are all in for God, obviously the supernatural enemies of our souls good point are are going to be attacking you just like they did jesus good point mm-hmm. and i think that's where a lot of us stop you know i know i think most christians stop at evangelism to use that as an example because they share christ once and they get burned mm-hmm. and they share christ twice and they get burned again right and after you know two or three times they say i'm done but they don't follow the parable of the sower well let's go to that fourth soil and see what happens there we we quit before that there is an abundant fruit because it's hard and it's difficult and it's easier and and we know that we follow the god of all comfort but we sure love the idol of all comfort versus uh you know where <laughs> the god of all comfort says i'm going to be with you in your suffering the idol of all comfort says let's avoid suffering at all costs and, uh, and when you go on for God, I think we all know that there's going to be difficulties, but the end result is you see God work through you. You see him empower you. You see things happen that you could not have done under your own strength. Uh, you see the world changed. You see lives shifted away from darkness into light. And so it is certainly harder, but oh my goodness, it's not better. I, I posted on social media recently and that some people took it the wrong way, which if you followed the rules of logic, you Shouldn't have taken it the way they were taking it. But I said, life without children is easier, but it's not better, right? Hmm. Not meaning if you don't have children, your life is worse. That's not, that logically does not follow. Sure. But, but for, for p- parents and people God's called to be parents, man, oh man, my life would be way easier without kids, but it wouldn't be better. It wouldn't be more fulfilled. The, the, the life that I'm living, raising these children, discipling them, if you will, it's worth the pain. It's worth the difficulty. It's worth being called names <laughs> and, <laughs> and all the fights. It really is. It's hard, but it's not better. Life with Christ really begins with baptism. And baptism, as we understand it in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, does involve repentance of sin. 
no question. But it also involves a public commitment to make God our Lord, to follow him without any reservations, to be all in with him. And when we do that, God responds. He not only loves us, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that changes our lives. That means we have his ability to accomplish God's purpose in our lives. And Nathan, to your point, that doesn't mean life was easy for the Apostle Paul, does it? We'll know that he went on from challenge to challenge and challenge, and it was not easy. But he did accomplish the purpose God had for his life. When we don't go all in for God, we miss out on the resources that God wants to give us. <laughs> and friends, I just got to tell you, if you and I want to enjoy all that God wants to give us, we have to give everything we have to him. We need to be all in. God doesn't want to be the side dish of your life. Make God the main course. I trust that today's discussion of God's word has been helpful and served as an encouragement to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Together, let's bring God's word to life, to our lives this week. The Crosstalk Podcast is a production of Crosstalk Global, equipping biblical communicators so every culture hears God's voice. To find out more or to support the work of this ministry, please visit www.crosstalkglobal.org. You can also support this show by sharing it on your social media and telling your friends. Tune in next Friday as we continue our discussion through the book of Acts. Be sure to join us.